0: If you have a Bible today, let's go to John chapter 18. And as we're moving in the calendar closer and closer to Easter, we're capturing these handfuls of weeks to look at some of the very crucial moments in the last day of Jesus' life before the cross. We're asking that God would really draw our heart's affection and our mind's attention. On him in a very special way in these days as we move closer into the Easter season. Last Sunday we embarked on this journey of Jesus' last day by going with him into the upper room. And this morning we want to continue in on that last day of Jesus' life by following him out into the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been doing this timeline with our boys and girls now for four years, I think. I think I started that on Christmas Maybe it was Christmas Day, or how Christmas fell on a Sunday that year. I can't remember. But it's been a while now. And and if I titled that timeline, if I gave it a title besides the timeline, I I would title it just what I told the boys and girls a minute ago. It's the story of God's kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God on earth among men. And, And that story, it starts in that garden that we talked about with Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve in His image. He picked up dust, blew into that, and created mankind. And He crowned Adam and Eve with His glory. He gave them authority, ownership, dominion over everything that God had made. And God did this. He established His kingdom on this earth because He wanted to live in communion with His creation. He wanted His creation to know Him and to enjoy Him, to know of His glory and to revel in His glory. And out of all of that, most importantly, God wanted to have communion and fellowship with that part of His creation that was unique and special. See, everything in creation that He made, God said, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. But when He made people, when He created Adam and Eve in His image, God stepped back and He said, that's very good. And out of everything, God wanted fellowship and communion with his image bearers. But the kingdom of Satan attacked. Satan released a contagion upon the earth called sin. And he turned man's heart away from God. And from the kingdom of God. And from their true king. And Adam, in his shame, ran away. And hid. But God didn't step backwards. God stepped forward. The children told us. He stepped into the garden, right? He stepped into the garden and he made a promise. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve heard God step into the garden. The Bible says that they heard God walking in the garden that evening. In Genesis chapter 3, this is what God says where he gives the promise to Adam and Eve. He steps forward and he makes a promise. I'll summarize what he says there in Genesis chapter 3. He says, from the seed of this woman is going to come one who will crush the head of this serpent. The serpent was Satan. Satan and his kingdom now had encroached upon the kingdom of God. But God stepped in and made a promise. There will come one who will ultimately crush the head of that serpent. God continued then to move among his creation. But so did Satan. So did his kingdom of darkness. And now because of sin, Satan not only dominated creation, not only dominated all of man's environment, but now also dominated man's heart, man's mind. One man in a garden fumbled away the kingdom of God on earth. But in John chapter 18, in another garden, another man is going to move to restore the kingdom of God among men on earth see, in John chapter 18, this man in this garden isn't just any man. He's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. He is, you could say, the God-man. No mere man would ever be able to rescue humanity from the clutches of Satan, from the kingdom of darkness. So in John chapter 18, we find out that The God-man, the God who put on flesh and became a man, steps into this garden to reestablish the kingdom of God on earth. His name is Jesus, and we find him today in John chapter 18 in the garden of Gethsemane. He is the promise that God made to Adam and Eve when he stepped into the garden. He is the promise that God made to Abraham when he said, through you will come one who will bless all the nations of the earth. He is a direct descendant of King David and rightful heir to that earthly throne. He's uniquely qualified as God and man to do what no other man could do, fully God. Fully man, he alone, he alone, there is no other. He alone could reestablish the kingdom of heaven on planet earth among men. The Apostle Paul, and I love the songs that Pastor Mike picked out today because they went right along with this. The Apostle Paul appropriately calls Jesus the second Adam. The first Adam blew it. But the second Adam is our hope and our Redeemer. Through the first Adam... Think about this. God created all the nations of the earth. Through the second Adam, God's going to bring all the nations of the earth together around his throne in worship and honor and in praise. The first Adam looked at God and said, Hey, God, don't blame me. Blame my bride. The second Adam looked at God and said, God, don't blame my bride. Blame me. And that's why we find Jesus in John 18 sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because he's about to take the blame for your sin, all of it, and mine, upon himself to the cross. He himself is without blame, but he's about to bear all of ours in our place. Let me remind you that the gospel can be boiled down to three great transfers. If you've been around here, you've heard me say this before, but we need to hear this again. The three great transfers of the gospel are this. Number one, Adam's sin was transferred to us. Adam's sin was transferred to us. The Bible says in Romans 5:12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We are sinners today because Adam sinned in the garden. And I know what some of you are thinking, but that's not fair. Maybe it's not. Neither is this. Second great transfer of the gospel. My sin was transferred to Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He personally carried, does it say his sin? No, he had no sin. Our sin was transferred to him. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. That's not fair either, is it? Third great transfer of the gospel. The righteousness of Jesus is transferred to me. You say, what is righteousness? It's simply right standing with God. As sinners, we had no right standing with God. There was nothing we could do to gain right standing with God. But Jesus had right standing with his Father God. And that right standing, that righteousness of Jesus is transferred to me. Listen, we're well past fair now. Do you see this? If you still want fair... Your light bulb has gone out, all right? Sorry to break that news to you, but if you want to whine about being fair, you're you're not tracking with me here because we're way past fair. We're way beyond fair now. We're talking about grace now, right? We're talking about mercy now. Look at Romans 5.18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ, one act of righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Watch it. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Listen, there's two bookends of the Bible, four chapters in total where there is no sin. There's no sin in the first two chapters. There's no sin in the last two chapters. But everything between the first two chapters and the last two chapters is the story of God reestablishing His kingdom on the earth among men. Everything in between those bookends is about God restoring and reestablishing His kingdom here in this world. And the reestablishment of the kingdom of God among men is hinging on, it's pivoting on this moment in the garden in John chapter 18. This is a crucial moment in the last day of Jesus. Look at John 18, verse 1. The kingdom of God among men pivots, hinges on this moment. If we will go on in darkness without hope, or if we will be redeemed and restored and co-rule and reign with Christ, it's hinging on this moment. John 18, verse 1, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had gone off in there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am. He, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. For just a brief moment, Jesus peeled back, as it were, his garment of flesh and allowed them to get a glimpse of his glory, and they could not stand Before Him in all of His glory. They fell to the ground. When Jesus the Nazarene. We sang that. Jesus the Nazarene. When He said, I am. He spoke the holy name of God. It's in your Old Testament in all capital letters. L-O-R-D. If you go home today and start reading your Old Testament, you're going to find that That word L-O-R-D in all caps, which is a transliteration of the Hebrew word Yahweh, you'll find that name in your Old Testament over 6,500 times. Can there be any question that the main character of the Old Testament is Yahweh? And in John chapter 18, when they asked about the identity of Jesus, he said, I am. He identified himself by that name, Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You know what that means? He's the one that stepped into the garden and blew into the dust and made us. That was him. He's the one who stepped into the garden and made that promise that there would come one that would crush the head of that serpent. He's the same one that closed that door on the ark sealed it tight so that the people he had saved would be saved to the very end because that's what he does. He's the same one that promised Abraham, through you is going to come one that will be a blessing to the nations of the earth. He's that very same one. He's the same one that spoke to Moses in that burning bush, the bush that was on fire, but it would not burn up. The fire never would go out. And then he would part the sea and bring them across and set them free from Pharaoh's slavery and oppression. Verse 7, once more he asked them, who are you looking for? I can just see them, they're still on the ground. And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene, I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? I want to show you this morning quickly three things about Jesus in this garden that I believe, if you'll lock in with us today, it's going to encourage you today, and encourage you for this week. So We see these Three things. Be encouraged. Number one, the movement of Jesus is forward. The movement of Jesus is always forward. Notice that Judas came with Roman soldiers. He came with temple guards. The Bible says they're carrying weapons. Why? Because they expected Jesus and his followers to put up a fight. The text also says they brought torches and lanterns, maybe because they expected if they don't fight, they'll run, and we'll have to go into the darkness and find them. But Jesus didn't fight, and Jesus sure didn't run. In fact, even though he knew everything that was about to happen to him, he kept moving forward. He always moves forward. I don't know about you today, but that encourages me. That I follow a God that doesn't back up. He's always moving forward. Verse 4 says, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. He stepped forward, not back. That's one small step for man. That's one giant leap into the reestablishment of the kingdom of God among men on planet earth. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the physical torment and torture that he was about to take and he stepped forward anyway. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the spiritual torment that was about to come. That he would be separated from God the Father. That God the Father would turn his back on his own son. And Jesus stepped forward anyway. He knew all of that and he stepped forward. Listen, as it relates to you. To his purposes and his plans for you and for your life. His movement is forward. He's advancing His purposes and His plans, His mission in you and for you. Don't give up. Some of you may think that you're no longer moving forward in the purposes of God, the plan of God. You may think that because of where you are in your life, you may think because of choices you've made, decisions that have been made, things that have impacted you that others decided that have had an adverse impact on you. You may have heard the whispers in your own heart and mind that you're not enough anymore, that you ought to be ashamed, that you're not good enough, And so you're not moving forward with Jesus anymore. If you're a child of God today, that's a lie out of the pit of hell. He does not step back from His people. He doesn't slam it into neutral. He is always moving forward. And He's moving forward in your life today. Others may have moved back from you. Others may have stepped away from you. But God's never going to step away from you. He's never going to step back from you. He's moving forward toward you. And He wants to move forward with you in His purposes and His plans today. And you might be the kind of Christian today, if there is such a thing as this kind of Christian, that's just content to sit and soak and sour. You take and take and take, but there's no outflow in your life. There's no sense of forward movement. There's no sense of purpose in serving the Lord. There's no sense of in the mission of God that you're living in. But Jesus has said of His true followers, "You are to go." And not say, like go to church although we should. It doesn't say go to life groups, although we should. Don't go to your small group. It doesn't say that, although you should. Here's what Jesus said. You go make disciples. That's the mission, to go forward. His movement in this world is always forward. He's always advancing His kingdom forward in this world. His transmission has no reverse. Time to go to class. His transmission has no neutral. His movement is forward. Don't you quit on him. Because he's not quitting on you. And He's not stepping back from you. He's not stepping away from you. I don't care who you are today. The Jesus I know, he's stepping toward you today. No matter how far you may have stepped back from him, he is stepping toward you today. With his grace and with his mercy, with his purposes and his plans. And he's going to be faithful to complete what he has started. Be encouraged today, okay? Jesus always steps forward. His movement's always forward. But secondly, be encouraged today because the name of Jesus is powerful. His name is powerful. Look at verse 4. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Make no mistake here, guys. He's not being overpowered. He's not. With just one word. Four Hebrew letters. That's it. Four little Hebrew letters. He presses these people to the ground unarmed, unassisted, and facing a great number of trained fighters who were armed to the teeth, he simply revealed who he is with one word. He said his name. He said, Yahweh, I am. That's what he said. As we move toward the cross in these days, never forget this. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. Nobody could take his life from him. That's an impossible thing to do. When he could squash us with just four Hebrew letters. Who are we to think somebody could take his life? He did not have his life taken from him. He laid his life down. He is doing what no other man could do. He is doing what no other man could stop. This is Jesus. He needs no weapons. He needs no army. He speaks. He just speaks. He speaks and demons jump out of a person and into pigs and run off the cliff to try to get away from him. Right? He speaks and the dead are raised. He speaks and the storms are stilled. And here in the garden, he speaks and he spoke just one word and it wasn't just any word. It was his name. Verse 4, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene. They replied, I am he, Jesus said. This is the name that he revealed to Moses. Now, you go back to Genesis 2. If you just don't believe me, go back there and look at it. You'll find in Genesis 2, when he created man and woman, it was the Lord God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It was Yahweh God that did that. But he never revealed to his people what his name truly is until we get to Exodus chapter 3. He reveals it in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses. Moses is 80 years old. He's he's been a fugitive on the run in the wilderness for 40 years for committing a murder back in Egypt a long time ago. In Exodus chapter 3, he's found this bush that's on fire and it's not burning up and he's really curious. He goes over to check out this phenomenon and then this burning bush starts talking to him. Well, it's not the bush, it's God in the bush, just an ordinary bush. You know, God delights in inhabiting ordinary things and using ordinary things. Have you noticed that? All right, look, at, look, at, look in the mirror. You're, you're quite ordinary. But, but God delights to work in you and through you. Here's what happens in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am. See that? Same thing Jesus said in John 18. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh. He's speaking where we get it now. That's I am. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name. My name to remember for all generations. And We find that name. Over 6,500 times throughout the Old Testament. And that's the name. When they came to look for Jesus, he revealed who he truly was. He had held back from that for 33 and a half years. But in this pivotal, crucial moment. Where the reestablishment of the kingdom of God on earth hangs in the balance. Jesus shows his cards. And he wins. Every time. And he says, I am. Am. Now you're late. One day, one day every knee. See, in that garden, he said that name, and every knee buckled. But one day, every knee is going to bow at that name. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. So be encouraged today, all right? Because Jesus' movement is always forward. His name is always powerful. He hasn't lost a round yet. Not going to lose one. Third, be encouraged because his love is unending. How many of you just needed to hear that today? I just needed to know. He still loves me. His love is unending. Look at verse 7. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene, I told you that I'm he, Jesus said, and since I'm the one you won't let these others go. See that? Let these others go. He did this to fulfill what he had already said. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. See, twice, Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? Twice. They admitted whose name was on the arrest warrant. It was his name. Not their name. They had no right to his disciples to seize them. But Jesus is making sure that they know that. That they know they have no right to take his disciples. And for good measure, he just throws out this command, let them go. Let them go. He's protecting them. To the very end. If I knew what he knew. I don't know that I would have protected them. You're about to scurry away from me like you never knew me. After everything that we've done. After all this time. You're going to deny. That you're one of my followers. But not Jesus. He's not like me. And I'm so thankful. And he's not like you. He is the God-man. He is holy. He is unique. He is in a class all by himself. He was devoted. He loved his disciples with a love that is unending. In the hours to come, they won't be devoted to him. But he will still be devoted to them. Have you walked down that path where you weren't devoted to him? Liars. Liars. Y'all acting like y'all somebody in church today. You've all, we, we've all walked down that path where we weren't devoted to God. And we could all testify today, but there was not one beat of my heart that he wasn't devoted to me. Because his love is unending. Jesus is remaining devoted and loving to them. He says, let them go. By the way, it's the same command that he gave Pharaoh when he said, let them go. Same thing. And when Pharaoh would not let them go, remember what God did? God drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea and provided salvation for his people. Let them go. By the way, that's what Jesus said too, to your sin, to death and grave. Let, let them Go And like he did for the Hebrew people, God did for us. He delivered us from our slavery and from our oppression. And he delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. Let them go, because his love is unending. But his unending love is most clearly seen in what we see next in the text. And this is a little complicated, so if you fell asleep, you need to way back up here. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus. The high priest slay. God bless you, Peter. You're just chatty and you got bad aim, but God bless you, my man. Verse 11. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Watch this. This next line is dripping with redeeming, saving love. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Peter Put the sword down. This is the plan. This has always been the plan. I'm not a victim of circumstances. I am sovereign over all of these circumstances. This is the plan, Peter. The sin of Adam and the contagion of sin that has unleashed In my creation, that's got to be dealt with. The head of the serpent has got to be crushed. Justice must prevail. And yet, so must mercy. Now we got an issue. How in the world is justice and mercy simultaneously going to prevail? Here's how. The only way justice and mercy will simultaneously prevail is Jesus has to drink the cup of suffering for your sin and my sin at the cross. Here's the question of the ages How can God act justly towards sin and at the same time act mercifully towards sinners? An impossible contradiction it seems how can god act justly towards sin and merciful towards sinners at the same time and the answer is the cross look at the cross at the cross you see perfect justice being poured out justice against every sin that's ever been committed, is being poured out. And yet, at the same time, simultaneously, perfect mercy is being poured out there at the cross because Jesus is drinking down the cup of the suffering, absorbing the justice of God's wrath against our sin so that we might be able to drink the cup of God's mercy, His blessing, salvation. That's what it's called. It's a gift, by the way, to you from God. Because his love is unending. You don't deserve it. You never could earn it. You only simply receive it. Trusting. Believing. Admitting to God, I am a sinner. And that was me that deserved punishment for my sin. But Jesus, you stepped in. You took my place. You took my blame. Adam said, blame her. And you said, God, blame me instead of him. Blame me instead of her. You protected me. You rescued me. And I trust that. And I receive that as my own. And I want to trust you, Jesus, to save me. And I want to follow you with the rest of my life. The Bible shows this page after page of Scripture that nobody can save themselves. We all try. We talk a good game. Sometimes we even put forth some good effort, but the Bible is very clear about that. We're all sinners, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of our sin is death. But even though we're sinners, God loved us with an unending love. And He gave Himself for us. The King, the King, loved His enemies. The King sacrificed Himself. To save those who had turned and ran from him. Us. The king made a way for his enemies. Sinners like me and you. He made a way for us to be in his kingdom. And that way is Jesus. He's the only way. Jesus said I am the way. The truth and the life. Nobody comes to the father except through me. See, we once lived in the kingdom of darkness that the first Adam ushered in. But now we can live in the kingdom of light. Because the second Adam, Jesus, his movement remained forward and is always forward. His name is powerful and his love is unending. God, we bow our hearts before you today in awe of this story of the kingdom of God among men on earth. Perfection at the beginning, perfection at the end, and nothing but redemption and restoration through the middle. You would not be stopped. You continue to move forward. Your name and power, love never ending. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, let's talk about your sin for a minute. There's no doubt you've sinned. There's no doubt about that. No question about whether or not you've sinned. The question that I have for you though is, where is that sin? Where is it right now? When you think about those three transfers of the gospel. Where is your sin? Is it still on you? Or have you trusted Christ to transfer that upon Himself through His finished work at the cross? If you've never done that, you need to know that right now in this moment before God, You're his enemy because you're a sinner. You're in sin because your sin remains on you. He is a God of justice. And if you choose to leave this world with your sin on you, you will pay. You will pay infinitely for sinning against an infinitely holy God. There's mercy on the table. Right now, today, in this moment, you could take your sin and you could give it to the Lord. You could make that transfer happen right now by grace through faith. The means has already been provided through what Jesus did at the cross. All you have to do in this moment is to believe that. And trust that and say, Jesus, take my sin and give me life. And give me right standing with God that I could never have apart from you. There's no question today whether or not you have sinned. The question is, where is it today? Where is it? So if you're a child of God today and you know that, and you know your sin has been transferred to Christ and His righteousness has been transferred to you, why all the shame? Why all the guilt? Why all the fear? Do you not know that He has drowned your enemies, sin, death, and the grave? He finished them off. They're gone. You're free. And can I ask you, child of God, are you moving forward now as a child of God? Or maybe you're just circling the cul-de-sac in your fear, in your shame, in your selfishness, in your guilt. Are you moving forward, child of God? Jesus is, are you moving forward with him? He's moving forward into the world to make disciples. But maybe you're circling the cul-de-sac, doing the same old, same old, every day. Never looking for, never considering that God has purpose, God has mission. God's putting opportunities before me, moment after moment, day after day in my life we just circled the cul-de-sac checking the boxes i went to church and i did the stuff and all that jesus is stepping forward you want to step forward with him today say god i don't know where this one step will lead me but i want to follow you wherever you're going i want to move forward with you and whatever time i got left on this pale blue dot called planet earth because you're moving forward and your name is powerful and your love is unending. So God, here I am. Let's go. You need to give Christ your life today. Transfer your sin to him through grace, through faith. You want to talk to me about it? You're not sure kind of how to do that? I'll be standing right here. And We start singing just a minute. I might as you do something that's really old-fashioned and weird and crazy. But I still think it's a cool thing to do. Because God said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. My goodness, if we can understand that all my sin can be transferred to Jesus and I can be made right with God just like that, and I wouldn't be willing to walk up in front of a few hundred people and say yes to Jesus, then it's not legit anyway. Maybe this old-fashioned process is kind of a sifter, Right? To separate the contenders from the pretenders sort of deal. So I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Because the last thing I would want to do is pat a pretender on their back on their way to hell. So you need to trust Christ today. You come on, let's talk, okay, in just a second. Believers, you're free. When the Son is set free, is free indeed. Get out of that pit. Come on, let's go. And let's move forward, church. Let's move forward. Because Jesus, he stepped into the garden, and he has stepped out of the grave, and he ain't stopping stepping anytime soon. Let's go. Holy Spirit, grip hearts. Grab us, move us, change us, save us. For the glory of the Father, through the Son, for the good of your church, for the hope of the nations, in Jesus' name we pray.